When I'm not overlooking a build like this, I do some travelling, which I'll talk about shortly. But one of my hobbies is running. As I was looking at this passage in Luke chapter 24, which we'll read together shortly, you'll see that these two followers of Jesus did a half marathon. It was 11 kilometers from Jerusalem down to this village of Emmaus. They had a quick meal and they turned around and came back again, making a total of 22 kilometers, which is, you know, is half a marathon. Now then, one thing marathon runners try and achieve, it's seldom done, but always a goal, is to run the second half faster than the first half. You can imagine that's difficult because you get tired as you run. But these guys manage it. Do you realize that? This is what runners call a negative split, where you manage to run the second half faster than the first. And if you're over 35 like I am, it's a good thing to go for a negative split because that means you can speed up as you head toward the end. So, Luke 24, let's read this together. Verse 13, you can listen if you like. That same day, that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus. 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. They said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. 
Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There, they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. And I said, I thought, Steve, why on earth are you doing this kind of stuff? Why didn't you hold on to your job in a school in Southwark and kind of do normal things like teachers do? And I find that a lot of my time now, I'm outside my comfort zone. I know teachers are as well, a lot of the time. And t- 10 days ago, 12 days ago, I was in a meeting in, and the church leader came up to us and he said, just, I just want to talk to you before you start. He said, um, we're going to have a meeting. The meeting's illegal. The police come, we're all in trouble. But I want you to know that you are as well. And he smiled at us. He said, do you want to carry on? And why do it? Why do it? Why are those guys taking huge risks in those countries? And the answer is this simple. It's because of the risen Jesus. That changes everything. If you were to jump on a bus that went to Peckham from here, and you got off at Rhine Lane Chapel, you could go in that 200-year-old church, and on the wall there is a roll of honor. And ninth on the list of the roll of honor is the name Fred. I've got all these details if you want to know more. Fred was born in 1872. And when he was 12, he found Jesus and would not stop telling his mates at school about Jesus. When he left school, he decided he wanted to go to China as a missionary. And he trained. At age 27, he was ready to go. He jumped on a ship And I think it was six weeks later, he arrived off the Chinese coast. That coincided with the Boxer Rebellion in China, which was basically a nationalist kind of civil war that took off. And in Fred's first year in China, while he was trying to master the language, he saw many of the 32,000 Chinese people that were killed during that time be murdered. Hundreds of overseas workers were also killed, but he plowed on and learnt the Chinese language. Three years later, that little church in Peckham sent Amy from its church membership out to China as Fred's fiance. They married, she quickly fell pregnant, and it doesn't say this in the records, but I reckon Fred felt pretty good. He was in the country of his dreams, he got most of the language under his belt, he was married, His wife was pregnant, and he was looking at a fantastic future in China. Six months later, he was dead from cholera. His wife decided to stay on with the baby, and as far as we know, she spent the rest of her life in 
China. Why do it? Why do that stuff? It's because of the risen Jesus. Two weeks ago, I was in a mountainous country, and these people are singing in the Persian language. Many of them have found Jesus from a Muslim background. Just listen to half a minute's worth, and then I'll give you the translation. on the church building, we had to lock the gates outside, we knew the police could turn up at any point there were underage kids there which is illegal had they shown up they're in trouble but there they are many Muslim converts singing I praise your name Jesus your name is great Jesus your name is above all other names Jesus your name is beautiful And many people in that remote country have fallen in love with the risen Jesus. And they're intentional about meeting their Muslim neighbors, despite the intense pressure. Are you? It's risky for them. It's dangerous for them. But, you know, humans run on hope. And in verse 21 that we read together, You've got the heart of the dilemma of these two followers on the walk to Emmaus. They say to Jesus, we had hoped he was the Messiah. They had hoped, but those hopes had been dashed. They were hopeful before the crucifixion. Then there was death. Then they described the women's report from the tomb as nonsense. Then there's sadness and dashed hope. Where are you today? Have your hopes been dashed? It happens sometimes. If it happens, I just want to encourage you to grapple with that situation that you're in. Maybe you're a youngster and you're not sure what the way forward is. Be like those two on that road to Emmaus. Don't just kick the can down the road grab hold of the issues, grapple with them, and find a way forward. Yesterday, a 225-meter ship was wending its way down the Bosphorus Strait between Europe and Asia. They do it all the time. It's extremely difficult to navigate. They need a pilot to guide them through. And the rudder locked. And ships don't have brakes, as you know. And the ship just ploughed into the bank and totally took out a house. If you want to watch it on uh, the news, I can point you to the right website. Life is about course adjustments, key moments, 
and pivotal decisions. And that's where these two disciples were at on their way to Emmaus. I don't know where you draw your hope from. If I look at the international scene, I don't see much to be hopeful about on the world stage. If I look at the scene here in Britain, I don't see much to be hopeful about. But individually, we can do something. And that, in turn, of course, can impact the national and international scene. This is something we can influence. In a world where there's death, torture, sickness, and evil, these things don't have to have the last word. They are not the last word because Jesus is risen. Two weeks ago, I was in a very difficult country and we'd flown to a big city for a two-day get-together and the leader of that group contacted us the day before saying, I'm leaving town, someone else is taking over, have a good time. So we weren't too pleased, but we arrived and we didn't know what we were going to. We turned up the first morning and we found there were 16 young people aged about 17 to 25, sitting on the floor with notebooks, just waiting for some teaching which they hoped was going to be helpful. But we learned a lot more from them those two days than they learned from us. I asked them, what are your goals as a young people's group? And without a hint of a smile or any insincerity, they said, we are going to take this city for Jesus. How are you going to do that? I asked. We are going out in four, in groups of four in the evenings to the bars and to the nightclubs. We're committed to not drinking alcohol while we go out doing these things. We're sitting around, we're just being normal, we're having fun together, and people find what we're doing attractive because we're different. And they come and ask us, who are you? What are you doing? Why have you got a T-shirt with something odd written on it? And we get into conversation and we invite them to come and join the group. Are you finding people find Jesus through this? Oh, yeah. Some of these here have only been coming along a few weeks. We're not even sure if they're really followers of Jesus yet. They're still leaving Islam, but they're on the road. What else do you do? Well, they said we found out recently that there's 60 young people in this town with Down syndrome and 48 of those families the father has run off gone to Russia so there are 48 mums with single kids or perhaps siblings as well under terrible economic conditions trying to survive and these young people bless them have said we're going to do something about this Many of those mums are poor, which is why they didn't have checkups and the babies aborted. Many of them are older. That tends to, I understand, the incidence of Down syndrome increases with age. So these are often pious Muslim women in desperate situations without a breadwinner trying to get by. So what do you do with these 60 kids? Well, we're organising a minibus. We're going to bring them into a centre. We're going to teach them life skills. 
And then when they're old enough to leave school, which they go to part-time a couple of days a week, we're hoping to offer some of them employment in a cafe. Just amazing to see youngsters doing stuff like that. All of it illegal. They're hoping to get permission down the road, but that's not going to stop them setting out on that path. I said to one young girl, she's about 20 years old, smart, excellent English, just the kind of kid that would end up in the States or maybe Russia. I said to her, what are you going to do when you finish with school? She said, I've written it down, I'm staying here to see my country change. I'm staying here to see my country change. And like this couple in Luke 24, her eyes had been opened, there was a fire within her, and she was holding on to hope despite difficult circumstances. And the amazing thing about those 16 young people was that they were all like it. It was just overwhelming to be with them for a couple of days. I was on a boat with a friend in February, and we were really tired. We'd done a lot of traveling, and he wanted to see a load of things, and we were exhausted. We sat down just where you are. He was sitting next to me, and there was a woman just across the aisle, and she heard us speaking English, and she said, hey, you speak English. Can you chat with me, please? And then she said, do you know what? I think God has sent you to sit next to me. Will you please talk to me until we arrive in Istanbul? So we said, okay. And she said, my name's Alie. I'm 27 years old, and this is my 13-year-old daughter. I was forced to marry when I was 14. My husband raped me over and over again. I fell pregnant very quickly, but thank God he was killed in the war, and I took that opportunity to escape the country with my daughter. I'm now living in the U.S., and I found some people who love Jesus, who I get together together with every week, and they're introducing me to the Bible. What do you think? Have you got any advice? Could you get me a Bible in Arabic, my mother tongue? That would be a great help for me. The power of the risen Jesus. These two guys finished the Emmaus Half Marathon. Then in verses 40 and 41 in chapter 24, it says, Jesus turns up and the disciples, including these two, were filled with joy and wonder. When were you last filled with joy and wonder? I asked myself that yesterday when I was in Dulwich Library trying to gather my thoughts for today. When was I last filled with joy and wonder? We need transformation in this land of ours. We need to see sorrow turning into dance, despair into hope. If someone like Alie, raped at the age of 14, can do it, if those kids up in Central Asia can grab hold of something despite the pressure, then what can we do here if we grab hold of the risen Jesus and walk with him. You know, there's millions of people who are groping in the dark. I always go to the same place to buy my bananas. Now, that may not seem very important to you, but well, it's not important. But the banana seller is very important. His name's Ibrahim. And I've been buying my, my bananas from him for the last six months. And every time I go there, we have a chat about Jesus. 
And I think he likes to sell me bananas. He probably charges me too much, but I don't mind because we get to talk about Jesus. And last time I was there, I said to him, Ibrahim, have you had a good day? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, I'm bored with life. If I die today, I don't care. I've got nothing to look forward to. I said, Ibrahim, I don't know much about your belief system, but in my belief system, my God tells me that he came to bring life in all its fullness. How is it that you, and you'll be fasting next month, how is it that you, your book, your set of beliefs, has brought you to the position where you say, I don't care if I die tomorrow? He's got a business, he's got a pension, he's married, he's got kids, but he doesn't mind if he dies tomorrow. There's millions in this world groping in the dark. And life is boring or meaningless or painful for so, so many of them. Should be a picture of Jeremiah. I sketched this this morning just after I got up. Excuse me if it's not my best, but... Uh, no, actually, I photographed it. It's um, drawn on camel bone, actually, hanging in my bedroom. Chapter 19 in Jeremiah. I'll finish with this. The Lord tells Jeremiah to go and buy a pot and then invite the elders of the town to go to the city gate and then to smash the pot. Now, this is actually Omar Khayyam very frustrated because he's run out of wine. But you can imagine it's Jeremiah with his prophetic act of smashing the pot. He smashes the pot and then he says to the elders, the people of this land and this city will be shattered like this. Why? God says, because you've forsaken me. The people burn incense to foreign gods and they have filled this place with the blood of innocent children. I'm going to finish in 30 seconds. I'm going to be very careful what I say, but maybe not careful enough. I don't know. I'm shocked as I travel around this city and the little bit of this country I get to see these days. I think if you live in a place, you get used to things, obviously. But what I see here, I don't want to get used to. There's a callousness, a carelessness, a foulness. The language you have to listen to on the train, it wasn't like that 25 years ago when I left Britain. If you behave like that, you'd be told to shut up. And if you didn't, the police would deal with you very, very quickly at the next bus stop. The disregard for the poor, the foreigner, the 5,000 people sleeping rough in London every day, despite all you're doing with the food bank, street pastors, etc., etc. I'm not saying start doing something. You're doing loads. And may God bless you in that. But somehow we need to increase what we're doing, the impact of it. We need to get more people on board. We need to get this message of hope of the risen Jesus out into our communities. I was that close to telling someone to shut up on the train coming back the other evening. 
just a foul load of language on the tube. But I'm aware as well there's headlines about knife crime and this and that. I'm not suggesting you become a brave vigilante. But somehow we've got to see this nation turned around. Because I think, I wouldn't be surprised if God was also saying to us, get hold of your leaders. Sadiq Khan, what's the home minister's name? I never hear from her. Amber Rudd, is it? Whatever, yeah. Get hold of your leaders and give them some straight talking because it's a disgrace and it's becoming normal and normalized. So take heart. Jesus is risen. He's with you. He wants to do more through you and me than we can even imagine. And if he can get hold of a young woman like Alie on a boat and say it's okay to talk to these two men and see her step out of some of that brokenness of her background. If he can get hold of kids brought up in a police state and see them decide together and powerfully, we're going to take this city for God, then what can't God do in Sydenham through you? Bless you. Thank you. I went to see a friend of mine just yesterday, the day before. He said to me, as I left, he said, um, be happy. It's later than you think. <laughs> Which was a, I kind of laughed, but was fairly depressed as I left him. There's loads to do. It's getting late. God's on our side. Thank you for your encouragement overseas. Thank you for your support. I was able to give $100 to a woman who's just lost her daughter to cancer and is bringing up her granddaughter and doesn't have an income. So thank you for, for that. It's great to be part of a family. Bless you.